0: Hi, and welcome to the Ministry Network podcast. I'm your host, James Baird. Today we'll be speaking with author Lydia Brownback. Ministry Network just launched a new teaching series called Behind the Pulpit. It's designed for pastors and other church leaders to learn from ministers with decades of experience Visit ministrynetwork.com forward slash behind the pulpit to learn more. Now, let's talk with Lydia. Lydia, thank you so much for joining us here on Ministry Network.
1: It's so great to be back with you today.
0: We are going to have a wonderful conversation, and we've already had an awesome opportunity to learn from you in the workshop that you filmed with us. And now we get to have a podcast conversation. So we got a two for one deal. <laughs> <laughs> You've written a number of really wonderful and helpful books. The one that I'm particularly fond of, and that will kind of shape our conversation today is Finding God in My Loneliness. Can you tell us a little bit about the story behind the book?
1: Sure. Yeah. What a year for this topic too, right? And, uh, you know, I think the subject has become so prevalent in the last five or six years, right down to the fact that over in the UK, they even have a czar of loneliness now. And, uh, you know, just because it's such a prevalent problem that even this is also over society, they're recognizing that. And this particular book, you know, it's been three years since it came out. As I think back, it's it was suggested to me by my friend Nancy Guthrie. We were talking one day on the phone and she said, "Why don't you write a book on loneliness?" And I remember my first thought was just resentment a little bit. I'm thinking, "Why would you think I would be the one to write that book?" you know. And but then, you know, I sort of set the idea aside and then but the more I thought about it over the next several months, I realized that she wasn't pinpointing me for any particular reason. She was just we were just having a conversation and, and realizing that it dawned on me that everybody's lonely. It's not just single people like me. It's, you know, it's not people who live alone. Some of the loneliest people I know are, have huge families and live in the midst of that. And so it's the human condition, I think. And sometimes we're more aware of it than other times. And, but it's this undercurrent, I think, in the life of every human being.
0: Yeah, it's a great point. And even, this is going to be loud for a second, but you, you mentioned the czar of loneliness this book just came out, which was by the Obama's top medical, I'm trying, what, what's his official name? Surgeon General.
1: Oh, Surgeon the Surgeon General. General. Is it on loneliness? Yeah. I'll have to look And at it's that.
0: on loneliness. Yeah. And uh, he sort of announced in the U.S. that loneliness was the biggest health problem.
1: Wow. Okay. So see, this is significant and it's only ramped up in this year of a pandemic. I think uh, Senator Ben Sass also addressed this, wrote about it. You know, it's just, it's coming much more in the public spotlight. Before now, I think people were aware of it, but it was almost a shameful topic of conversation. You've almost felt a little bit like, what's wrong with me that I'm lonely? Or you know what I mean? It just sort of felt like it was shameful. And that's, that's crazy. But that was, it just was one of those things we don't talk about. Whether people are single or I think especially married people don't want to address that topic because, I mean, how can you? I mean, it sounds like a betrayal of your spouse if you mention that you're lonely or you kind of wonder, is something wrong with my marriage? Or will other people think there's something wrong with my marriage? And so it really is, it's a hush-hush thing until these past few years. And now that we're seeing it in the upper echelons of society, right up to the government, addressing this as a universal problem, this is great. It's really going to be helpful.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that people don't, they they feel loneliness, but they don't actually know what they're feeling. And it's scary to put that label on it because you see people surrounding you, but somehow you're still missing a meaningful connection with them.
1: Yes, but you can't, it's very hard to identify that missing something, that empty feeling is loneliness. You know, so what we do is we try to pinpoint something outside of ourselves, something in our circumstances. That must be wrong. You know, maybe I need a different job. Maybe I need a different relationship. Maybe I need a different place to live. So we'd make these radical life changes trying to solve this undefinable thing that we can't quite put our finger on. And now I think we have more of an opportunity because it is being addressed, but that's what it is. And so making a radical life change isn't going to solve the problem. And I mean, you know, I think about the number of people I know, especially single people who have the freedom to change their lives all the time. They can change their jobs, their churches, their location. Always in this quest for the next thing, the next thing. Maybe the next thing is going to fill up that empty place. Maybe the next thing is gonna be what I've been looking for all along that I can't quite find, but I'm not sure what that missing thing is, but it it must be there and it must be over there. So we go after it, and then we get there, and, well, this isn't it, so now what? We wait a few years and try again. And people live their entire lives reinventing themselves and their lives every few years, and then they end up perpetuating the very thing that they're trying to escape. Because if you think about it, we're the first few generations. You've moved around all the time. Before that, people were born in a town. You would grow up in that town, and maybe you'd go away to college But either way, you'd come back, you'd marry a hometown girl or boy, and you'd settle down and and have a family. And then your parents took care of your children. And then you, like, you know, you lived, worked in that town. And then you died in that town. You were buried in that town. It was just generations of the same families. And it's almost like there was this built-in sense of community. And everyone knew everybody. And it just, there was something nice about that, the simplicity of that. And I mean, of course, it had its own problems. But, you know, this, to say today we have so many options. I think that's created its own problems. One of which primarily is loneliness. How can we have these meaningful connections if every time something doesn't work right, we just bail, you know, we leave a relationship, we leave whatever, we don't work through the hard things. And we don't realize that by doing that we're entrenching ourselves in loneliness.
0: That's such a great point too. And I I was specifically thinking about small town because That's my own history, my whole family. I'm the first person on my mom's side to ever not live in that town for who knows how long. And one thing you notice about that small town aspect is it sounds like when I would talk to my grandmother and such that you really had two choices when you started to really get plagued by loneliness. Either you moved closer to people and you dug in, or you gave into a really dysfunctional lifestyle.
1: Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: But there wasn't this middle ground that we've gotten all of a sudden, which is to look kind of healthy as you run away. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well you said. Know, I
0: got this new opportunity in San Francisco or what, whatever. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. So it just made me think of that. Yeah.
1: You know what? That's very well said because we can put a positive spin on it. We're really escaping. And you know, granted, maybe it is a great opportunity, but you know, really, if we think about it, we probably were living in a good opportunity. Opportunity is kind of what you make it. I know that sounds like a cliche, but it's really true. And you know, I think about kind of tying in with what you're saying, my own life as a single person. And just over the last, I've just completed my fourth move in a decade, interstate move in a decade. And I'm so tired of moving. And cause each time you go somewhere, you just put roots in and then you have to pull them up again and this last time it's one of the first time i think i've ever said i'm done and someone said oh don't say that you know you, you said that last time and you moved again so hopefully this is really the last time but you know, you never know but you know i think if i had a family i think if i were anchored somewhere i wouldn't have had the freedom to run after these opportunities. And, you know, was I escaping something? I don't think so. You know, I mean, in my case it's moving back to being your family versus, you know, other opportunities to go out there and serve the Lord. And so it was sort of pick and choose depending on what's going on at a given year. So hopefully this is not my own spin on my running away. But I, I mean I hear what you're saying and because when we're not anchored by a family, we do tend to move around a lot more. And that's why I think You know, I think that's a lot of why single people can be lonely. It's not just their singleness. It's their options. Yeah.
0: And um, I have a small family We have one little 14 month old, but we talk about moving all the time. (laughs) And we just recently had a conversation when we were like, no, we just need to dig in. You know, we're not going to find something there if we don't have here.
1: Well, you know, what? Though sometimes it's great to run towards something as long as we're not running away from something, you know? And that's the difference. I mean, some great opportunities come up that are wonderful to pursue and the Lord does call us to new opportunities and to actually leave the comfort of staying in the same place. So there is that flip side of it. It's just, again, I think that's key. It's, are we running towards something rather than just running away from something?
0: So we've talked a lot about loneliness, but I don't know if we've given it a really sharp definition yet. How would you define loneliness?
1: Wow. See, that, that's tricky, isn't it? How would I define loneliness? I guess I would say that sort of existential ache of undefinable emptiness that suddenly has no perceivable remedy in the moment that we cannot self-fix, you know, and it's, it's, there's no remedy in ourselves to be able to solve or even define clearly that feeling of emptiness. I guess. I mean, I've never, it's the first time I've been asked to define loneliness.
0: I think you did a pretty great job.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I'm looking at it in terms of a feeling, I think. You know, but maybe it's helpful to distinguish loneliness from being alone, because they're two separate things. And, you know, I think about people who are, I know people who live alone, and they never feel loneliness. They're self-contained, you know, they have the Lord, and they have their lives, and they don't, you know, they don't think much about they're not aware of this feeling of loneliness. And others, I know one, a mother with seven daughters, and she wrote me one day and she just was feeling lonely. And I'm thinking, why on earth would you feel lonely? And, you know, her husband was out of town. And I think, you know, it's hard to, it was hard for her to relate to her kids. I mean, there are different stages of life. And she was able to feel lonely. And that's when the day I think it really hit me. She is never alone, and yet she's battling this loneliness. So why? It helped me understand that everyone can feel it. So, again, though, being alone, I, that's a helpful way to define it, I think, is by distinguishing between being alone and loneliness.
0: Oh, that's so helpful. It's really helpful. Because it starts to, I think, chip away at the shame when you define it that way. Because whenever you see a loneliness and being alone is the same thing, you look around and you think, I'm crazy. I have so many people around <laughs> me. You <know?
1: laughs> or you think, I'm the only one. And that's part of why this, you know, this taking on a more public face is bringing it out of the shadows. And then, you know, like with anything, whether it's a sin struggle or something almost undefinable like this that we feel ashamed about, isn't the remedy coming? Doesn't it begin by realizing we're not the only ones, we're not alone. And that's bringing it into community, into going to someone and inviting them in. I mean, that's what we have to do. That's the first step we need to take when we're aware of it. But yeah, I mean, it deals with the shame everyone feels it to different degrees at different times. Everybody does. So no one should be ashamed unless everyone's ashamed. And there's nothing to be ashamed of. I do think that God is the one who hardwired us with the capacity to feel loneliness. You know, if you think about it, if we didn't feel that feeling of loneliness, if we didn't have that, why would we ever recognize our need for him? Why would we ever want to give up the autonomy of selfishness and unite with another person in marriage or even in a community, commit to a church to participate in a family or a friendship? Why would we ever stay in those difficult situations? I mean, when the difficulties come, if we didn't have that ache inside that yearns to connect. So God is the one who hardwired us with the capacity for loneliness. And it's actually a gift in that sense, because otherwise we're just way too sinful and selfish to ever want to connect with anybody on our own.
0: Whoa, that's such a helpful way of framing it. Because I was about to ask, is loneliness sin, to kind of open up, but you framed it so helpfully because it's more like hunger. It's a sign that you're empty. You know, it's a sign that something's missing.
1: The sign that we've been created for more than just ourselves. Yeah. Yes. So no, it's not a sin. It's an awareness that something's missing, that we're not complete in ourselves. We're not wired to be alone. We're not wired to be independent from God. We're not wired to live and to function well independently from one another. So, you know, that's why it's not a sin. The re- you know, I think there's sins we can do that exacerbate the problem that we can end up being lonely because of some sinful choices we make. But again, like that's, you know, being alone or lonely. Yeah, sure. That can be enhanced by sin. But the very fact of loneliness itself. No, definitely not.
0: Yeah, that's really helpful. That's really helpful. Because sometimes those things get bound up, right? The sin that caused the loneliness and the feeling itself.
1: Yes. And then sometimes I think, especially when a sin comes into play and we've made some bad choices and we realize that our loneliness or being alone is a consequence of what we've done. And, you know, that's where, what is the remedy there? The gospel, of course. And it's running to the Lord Jesus. I think about Psalm 25, I believe it's Psalm 25, where David cries out in Psalm 25. He says, Turn to me, Lord, and be gracious to me, for I'm lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. So right there, what is the remedy when our loneliness is caused, even by an awareness of something? We think, well, I did this and probably I'm suffering for that reason, or at least it's contributed to my aloneness, my loneliness. The remedy there is the same as it's always been. You cry out to the Lord, deliver me from my distress. And just because we got ourselves in this mess doesn't mean we can get ourselves out as with anything, right? So I think thats it's an opportunity. Our loneliness, even the self-created loneliness, is an opportunity to lean more deeply into the Lord, to recognize the gospel, to lean on Him for forgiveness, for just knowing how much we need Him, and to restore us and to fill us. And He is the remedy, even for self-created loneliness.
0: That's so good, because it cuts through. So we like to make things complicated. And you're so good at cutting through the complexity and getting to the basics. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> I love you drawing on the Psalms and David because I think he's a great example of someone who was very open in the Bible about his loneliness. What do you think about loneliness in biblical characters? Are there some examples that pop to mind?
1: Well, I put a lot in my book and I, you know, I think not because, you know, they're the point of their story, but it's to say this is they're human beings and this is how the Lord worked with them. The characters in the book are meant to point to how the Lord works with individuals in and around those lonely seasons. So, you know, I think it, we learn so much from them and a variety of them. You know, I think about Abraham who was called to leave home. He, he was called away from his people. To go to a place he'd never been on the promise of God as if yet unseen. Talk about, there's the loneliness of that. And then, you know, there's Elijah who, you know, ran away because he was discouraged and his life was at stake. And the Lord met him there and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? I mean, just restored him and brought him back. And then we see, oh, my favorite story is the woman at the well in John chapter 4, And how, you know, Jesus goes out of his way to meet her in the noonday sun. And there she is drawing water from a well, probably by herself because she was an outcast by her own sinful choices. We don't know for sure, but that's what it looks like. And Jesus met her and gave her after calling out, this is where you've been looking to solve your loneliness problems with all these men. You know, she had a live-in boyfriend. She'd had these husbands. And then just to say, that's not ever going to solve your problem. I am the only one who can fill that thing inside of you. And I love that what happens after at the end of that story, she runs to tell others about him and they come back. And I mean, so the very thing, she starts out alone and then ends up, she starts out running away from community and she ends up at the end after meeting Jesus, running toward it. And it's just, it's a beautiful picture of him as living water for that loneliness. He's the only one. And so, yeah, there's, it's all through the Bible, I think. It's threaded all through.
0: Those are great examples. One question that I have is, so we've talked about, you've shared how running to the Lord when we're lonely is the way to find the solution. He gives us everything. He's sufficient. What about a person who, let's say they're in ministry and they are truly giving themselves to the Lord and kind of confused about why they are still feeling lonely? How would you interact with that type of situation?
1: You know, I'd say sometimes we think that the answer to loneliness is just to get super busy. So especially in ministry, you know, if we're out there serving other people, then of course, why are we still feeling lonely? Because I think getting away from it does begin with getting out of our own head, right? So we get so introspective and we take our emotional temperature every day and we assess our lives endlessly. And so the more we look in, the actually the lonelier we're going to be. So the remedy does come from looking up and out. So we need to get out of our own lives, get out of our own head and just go love other people who are even lonelier than we are. And so that's very practical. And it's a huge remedy. At the same time, there can just be this busyness, let me fill up every empty hour so I don't have to think about how lonely I am. And that's really just escapism. So, you know, we can do good escapism, but it's still escapism, right? So I think that's sometimes the reason why. And I I just think this is coming to me freshly right now after this recent move back to this. um, Right now I'm in central New York, sort of, you know, upstate, middle of nowhere. And it's beautiful. Believe me, in the fall, it's beautiful up here, but you know, it's not, I'm not used to the thriving. It's kind of remote. And So And it takes a while to reintegrate and to build new community. So my tendency is just keep busy, keep busy, keep busy. I don't want to feel it. And this, for the first time, I'm like, God, I'm sick of running. I'm sick of just doing that. And I'm getting old and I'm getting tired. And so I think for the first time after all these just busy, busy, I'm realizing how much I do escape my own sense of loneliness. Though I give lip service to the Lord, you're my refuge. You're with me all the time. I think keeping busy, sometimes that is just lip service. And I, I know it in my head, but in my heart, I'm just trying to run away and from how it feels sometimes. So given that I'm old and tired at this point, I, I sit down and this moved just recently. And I've said, Lord, I, I'm just tired of that. And I thank you, Lord, for bringing me to the end of myself. And so when that's hitting me, When my carefully constructed efforts to fill up the empty places in my life, while that's good to do, you know, we're not supposed to sit home on our couch and hope that God drops community in our lap. You know, we have to get out there and get busy. But if it's not working out, and then we end up with four days where we're not seeing another human being, not for lack of trying, you know, what do we do? Well, sometimes it's sitting there and just being willing to feel it. And that's coming to the end of ourselves. I think sitting there and saying, Lord, boy, this is really hard, and I'm feeling every bit of it right now, but feeling it while we lean into him prayerfully, and just pour out our hearts. Talk about King David. I mean, pour out our hearts to him, and just say, I'm feeling this, I hate it. It is so painful, I'm so alone, and I'm so lonely, and I need you desperately. And it's funny how, as I've been doing that over these recent weeks, I'm not afraid of the alone. I'm not afraid of the sun going down by my, you know, and that's always been a really hard time of day for me is when the sun goes down and it's dark and it's quiet. And, you know, I just like, I don't like that time of day. So I've realized in the last week or two, this, I'm not afraid. And I think, or just distressed by it. And I I think it's this, not resignation, but leaning in. And, you know, it's an overused phrase, but it's true. It's leaning in, leaning on and sort of saying, you are my refuge and there's a peace that's come from just being willing to just be in the moment and not run from how it feels. But, you know, not like meditation. Let me feel it. It's leaning into the Lord prayerfully while I'm feeling it and saying, this is my heart. Help me. I hate this. And, I, you know, so suddenly I realize I'm not alone. He's with me. He's right here. So that's if that's any help. I mean, from someone who lives alone in a remote area right now, I'm finding that to be to be a practical way to deal with it. Instead of just when getting busy isn't the answer, when it's not helping, and when we are busy and it is working, not to let that be an escape.
0: No, it's really helpful because, you know, you're putting out the balance between, you gotta get active, but that's the means to an end, not the end in itself. And you've gotta spend your time with the Lord. And it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, when you bring it to him so prayerfully, when you start to feel that emptiness, it starts to be a trigger to go to him instead of a reflection on yes you, if that makes sense.
1: It does and it becomes more natural because you're knowing his companionship and you're just aware that he's right there not that you have to go up and sit on your prayer chair and find him you know like he's with you and he always is of course but in our own head when we're not in resting in his presence we almost feel like we do have to go dig him out of the chest you know and i said no he's always right here and there is this sense of we're not alone, and because we never are, but it's just nice to be aware of that. So yeah, I think, and that not that the essence of trust? What we're talking about is trust. He has promised He will never leave us or forsake us. So, And it's just an awareness that that's true. That's all we're talking about.
0: Join us next time as we continue our conversation with Lydia Brownback. In the meantime, visit ministrynetwork.com forward slash behind the pulpit to learn about our new teaching series.